Um, so, all right. Well, hey, listen, glad y'all are here. Last week, we, we looked at this statement from Luke uh, chapter 18. And Jesus had just done this great uh, teaching, this parable of the persistent widow. And basically, if you've never heard the story, basically this woman in the story is coming and, and she, something's gone bad in her life. She can't help herself. She needs justice against an adversary. And so she finds this unjust, un, basically a bad, bad judge, he's a bad guy, right? And goes to him and says, and just start, basically starts knocking on his door. Knocking on his door, knocking on his door, persisting in this knocking until finally, until finally he says, finally, yes, I will give you justice. Stop bothering me. And Jesus says, now listen, if the unjust judge who's a really bad guy will give you what is just, then how much more on the opposite end will a loving father who loves it when you bother him, who loves it when you pester him, who loves it when you spend time with him, Don't you think that he will for sure bring you justice and will answer your prayer because he loves you? And he says this, and and so it's this beautiful picture saying you need to continually pray. Continually come and ask God to move into these areas of his will and the things that you're calling out for. But he has this statement at the end. This is kind of where we focus. He says this. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Now, we said last week that faith can be defined this way. I'll put it up on the screen for you. You can write it down if you want. It makes it easier for you. It's a deep and abiding trust and confidence in the person of Jesus to move in every area of your life. I don't want you to miss the word abiding. The word abiding, I mean, you know what the word abide means? It's like you have an abode. What's an abode? It's a place where you live. It's a place where you come. I abide here. I reside here. I live here, okay? So the word abiding, the idea is that faith has in mind this idea of a deep and this living inside of trust and confidence in Jesus. And so that when I live in him, when I'm with him, when I'm always with him, that what defines my relationship with him is that I trust him. And I have confidence with him, in him. And here's the thing about confidence and trust and faith. I think we all understand this. You can't actually, like, express faith and trust until a situation arises that actually requires it. Right? You know what I mean in that? Like, I can sit here today and, and say that I trust you. Like, David Gillen, I trust you. But in the moment where he and I are walking along and I, and I fall off this cliff and I'm and I barely grabbing on, he reaches down. The only way he can save me is if I let go and him grab me. And in that moment, I'm like, David, I, I trust you, but I'm not, sure I, I'm not sure I trust you like this, right? And at that point, he says, well, then you don't trust me. Because trust is in that moment when everything is pressing in around you. There's actually a moment that trust and faith is re- confidence is required, in that moment, I will take a deep breath and I will lunge up and grab his arm. And so the idea is then that, that we can't really say that we have faith or we have trust or confidence in Jesus until those situations or moments arise in our life where it's actually required of us. And so what Jesus is saying is like, listen, I, I mean, he'll say this. Hey, I've already read the front page of CNN and Fox News, right? I already know what's going on in your world. 
I already know how difficult it's going to be to express faith in your life. And when he asks, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Guess what? He already knew the answer. He was basically making a point, and basically what he could have said is, listen, when I return, I'm not going to find much faith. I'm not going to find, I'm going to look at the church, and unfortunately, I'm not going to find much faith. I'm going to find a bunch of hypocrites who express their faith with their words, but their actions never match up to it, and they will be lived separated from me for eternity. I'm looking for men and women, boys and girls, whose lives, lives are marked by this leaping into me, trusting me, abiding, living in me, confidence, trust. And when all hell breaks loose, they trust me and have confidence that I'm for them and that I'm not against them. And they lean into me and they trust me. Faith must be a defining characteristic of those who actually call themselves Christians. The world is dying for Christians who will actually look, act, and sound like Jesus. And faith must be one of those determining characteristics. So last week I named one verse for you. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I want to look at this verse this morning. It says this, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, stop real quick. When I say please God, that doesn't mean like performing for him so that he will like you and love you. Okay? That's not what he's getting at. I'm going to paint this picture for you in a second. He's not getting at performance. Okay? So just press pause. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay? Without faith, right? Because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who are earnestly seeking. Now, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, it's written to a bunch of Hebrews. They're Jews, okay? Hebrews, we have no idea who writes it, but it's written to these men, women, and boys and girls who have grown up with the Old Testament, right? They've grown up with the stories of the Old Testament. So if you've ever read Luke chapter, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, you read what this is like, this, this, this like story of their heroes, Right? These are men and women who are their heroes. And if you read, the defining characteristic about all of them was their faith in a living God. A faith in this living God. And so when they're telling these stories, they're like, oh, this is, these are our heroes. And so, like, they would tell the stories, and the little boys would then, they would take off, run outside, they'd make this slingshot, pick up three stones, and they would find, the, they would find Goliath, right? A tree, bigger than them. And they would go, watch me, I'm David. You know, and they would sling it at him and kill the tree, right? Boom, he's dead. Woo! They'd celebrate David, right? They would do this like all little kids do. Celebrating. Celebrating these great men and women of the, of the, of the faith. Rahab and, and Elijah and Moses and Noah. All these great men and women. Deborah who did fantastic things for God. They're heroes. The defining characteristic of their life. If you've ever studied American history, how many of those great men and women of our history had their own faith driving them. 
Listen, why do you think Martin Luther King Jr. did what he did? Do you think it's because he just saw people having problems? That partly drove him. You know what the part was? He opened up his Bible and he read the over thousands of verses that pointed directly to justice for those who are being treated unjustly. And the, this, 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 the idea in the eyes of God that there is no skin color, right? There's no skin tone. They're just one people, right? This beautiful thing. He's like, this is what God says. So his faith drove him to action to fight for justice until he literally died for it. His faith drove him. The faith of these men and women drove them to get to the end of Hebrews 11. It says, and there are not enough books to tell the stories of others who were killed, who were sawn in two, and who were basically crucified for their own faith. It says this, it says, and the world was not worthy of them. Men and women expressing this deep and abiding trust and confidence in Jesus to the point that it literally caused them to go through hell and possibly even die in the midst of experiencing hell, but some to get all the way to the other side and have these beautiful and wonderful stories to tell about their deep and abiding faith and trust and confidence that define their lives when they're hanging on the cliff. And people love to tell their stories. So what are some of the things that we can learn about faith in this story? I want to say just real quick that one of the things I realized in reading this verse, that there are lots of books and out there written about faith, and there's all sorts of people out there literally focusing their entire ministry on exercising faith and growing faith and faith, 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 right? And I just realized they've made it a whole lot more difficult than God ever intended it to be. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to all of a sudden take faith, which you've been afraid to talk about because you don't think that you have it, and I want to let you know that you've had it for a long time. And I'm going to blow your mind in Jesus' name. You ready? Here we go. So the first thing that we see, first thing that we see is this scripture says, says, says this. Let me find it real quick. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Where does this faith, this deep abiding confidence and trust in God begin? It simply begins in believing that God exists. Believe that he exists. Believe that he exists. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity, working together. Do you even know most of the world does not believe that God exists? Right? They believe there's something maybe out there, but they don't believe in this God, the God of the Jews, the God of the Hebrews, right? The God of our Christian church. They don't believe in this God. And so for us, we believe that, the, that this belief, this faith begins simply by believing that he exists. Do you? Do you believe that he exists? Do you believe that he's moving? Do you believe that he's active? Do you believe that God exists? If so, my gosh, do you have an, do you realize how massive of a step you've taken in the direction of this life-altering, world-changing faith and trust and confidence in the living God? Your belief is this massive step. But believe is not enough. Second thing we see here is we must believe he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Ladies, I've got a quick question for you. Okay? Question for the ladies. Men, you're not smart enough to answer this. Okay? 
Let's, well, just help me out real quick with my relationship with my wife. Okay, I'm going to ask you this question, give you a, this is a scenario, and I want you to tell me what you think in this, okay? Randall's already, already heard this. We're cool, right? I'm not going to embarrass her, okay, like I usually do. So, Matt, so what would happen? Do you think this would be a good thing? A good thing. If tomorrow I decided for the next month all I'm going to do is earnestly seek after my wife. Right? This earnestly means like a deep conviction. With deep conviction, with all of my energies, I'm going to pursue my wife. Right? I'm going to wake up in the morning and lean over and say, I love you. Hey, do you mind if I scratch your head for like 30 minutes before we actually get out of bed? Right? Do you mind if I do that? Right? And she's like, okay. She's out there scratching her head. I'm like, babe, listen, do you mind if I go ahead and go get your coffee? I'm going to get your cream just right in your coffee because that's the way you like it. Right? Not too hot, not too cold. Just right. Right? And I'm going to make your breakfast. What do you want? I'll, I'll go ahead and create a calendar for you, right? Because she likes things planned out. I'm going to create a calendar for you that has your breakfast for every morning for the next month, and I'm going to cook it. I'm going to wake up an hour early. I'm going to scratch your head first, and then you can stay in bed even longer. I'll get the kids up. I'll put them on the bus, right? Let's just help me this fight. This is a good thing, right? And when you wake and you get up, and I'm going to take care of you, and listen, I'm going to give you every day some gift that you get to go do, because I'm going to do all your chores for you today. I'm going to earnestly, I'm going to seek after, I'm going to, I'm going to focus all of my energies and all of my attention and all of my affection on you. I'm not going to look at any, if any other woman walks up, I'm going to go, Ugh, I'm going to look only at you, right? And tell you how beautiful and how amazing and how crazy awesome that you are because you're, you're, the, you're the center of everything besides Jesus, right? Man, you're it. I love my kids, but you're number one. Do you think that would be a good thing? <laughs> Ladies, do you think that if I did that, my wife in turn would earnestly seek and pursue me because she'd feel so loved by me. You see, men, that's the crazy thing about marriage. The more you give yourself to going after your wife, quote-unquote, the better your wife becomes. And you saw, put this in quotes, ladies, okay? I'm not trying to offend you, okay? Our, uh, that's how men think. Well, my wife, she's terrible. No, you you terrible. I was going to say another S word there, but I can't say that in church, right? You're not good. That's what I was going to say, right? You're not good, okay? You're terrible sometimes, man, right? We are. But if we pursued our wife with every bit of her energy, guess what? She become the wife you always dreamed of. So when I earnestly seek after him, what do you think happens in my relationship with Jesus? All of a sudden, I see him. All of a sudden, I know him. All of a sudden, there's just this awakening of my own heart to him. And I realize it's not that he now is going to pour himself out. It's just that I open myself up to remove the barriers that, that have kept me from receiving from him already. It's the idea of Paul, right? Or excuse me, of Peter. Peter, Jesus says, come walk to me on the water, right? And Peter begins to walk on the water. Then all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and all of a sudden, he begins to sink, right? But as soon as he looks back to him and puts his hand out, Jesus grabs him, right? He receives from him. He earnestly, like, oh, my gosh, you're drowning, all right? What you do? Ah, that's what you do. Don't you know when you're drowning, when you're sinking, you reach out, you earnestly seek something to grab hold of? That's what he's saying. As you earnestly seek What's already available is poured out to you because you've removed barriers. When you earnestly, so that's what faith is. Do I believe in him? Do I earnestly with deep conviction make him the sole love of my life that I pursue and that I go after? 
it's weird sometimes, I know, to think of marriage language and, and, and the conversation about God, especially when you have a really bad marriage. You're like, I don't like, I'm not going to like God. I don't like my spouse, right? No. Could you imagine the perfect case scenario? Because Jesus creates the language of us being his bride in the New Testament. I'm just saying. So, coming in, this idea of faith, believe that he exists and earnestly seek after him. And faith, this is an expression. This is the expression of faith in our lives. So I want to take just a look at two stories from Scripture to kind of paint this picture of faith for us. The first is the faith of the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 10. You can open your Bibles if you want. You can just look on the screen if you want, okay? The faith of the centurion, Matthew 8, 5 through 10. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said. My servant lies at home paralyzed. He's suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But simply say the word. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, He was amazed, and he said to those following, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus had one of these moments, those jaw-dropping like moments of amazement. Could you imagine if a story was written about God's amazement for something that you did? That would be pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. He has one, and he's not even a Jew. He's not even a Jew. He's called a Gentile, and people are like, Jesus didn't like them back then, right? He's this outcast. And Jesus says, I am amazed at this man. The first thing we see about him, I think we need to learn about faith, is shocking humility. Shocking humility. Listen, this centurion was a powerful man. He was a soldier of great discipline. He was a soldier of great authority. He stepped into a room and people automatically respected him. And some of people even feared him because of the power that he wielded because of his station in life, his position in life, right? This great, powerful man. Listen, men, this is a guy that you would want on your team. You know what I'm saying? You want him on your team in those like dark alleys. He's that guy, right? You want him on your team. He's this tough guy, man of authority, a man of power, a man of, man, he's just a, He's an amazing guy. He's a guy's guy, right? But in this moment, you see this shocking humility. He says, listen, I do not, verse 8, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He stands before Jesus and recognizes Jesus is greater than and I am less than. How many of us live life demanding things? thinking we deserve something. If you ever get angry or frustrated it's because you think that you deserve something more than probably you actually do, maybe. Our anger is always birthed out of being done wrongly, usually, unless it's righteous anger or something done wrong to someone else. And you have this whole dynamic going down where he looks at it and says, I'm not worthy of you. I don't deserve for you to come to my home place of great humility, not demanding of Jesus for foregoing his authority, his power, his own greatness, and recognizing how little it is compared to Jesus. Listen, faith and belief in existence of God and then this coming after him must birth a shocking humility 
in your own life of recognizing his greatness and my less than. John the Baptist said, listen, he must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. Second thing we see is he recognized Jesus' authority. All of us understand authority, don't we? When a, person, when a person has authority in a situation, others must listen to and obey. Listen, when you're walking across the street and a police officer tells you to stop, what do you do? You stop, right? He may not have the power to literally stop you, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, but he has the authority to do so. He can put his hand up and say to stop, and you have to stop. If your boss comes to you at 5 o'clock on a Friday afternoon and says, man, I need you 30 more minutes. You've got to stay. We've got to finish this. You go, let me call my wife until they're running late, <laughs> right? Let me call my husband and say, I can't be home and get the kids, right? Whatever it may be, you're sitting there in the moment going, Yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, whatever it may be, I will stay. Your boss has his authority. Listen, kids, I know that you're going to hate this, but your parents, biblically speaking, have authority over you. Let me tell you something crazy, kids. Listen, listen to me. If your mom or dad ever tells you to do something, guess what? You don't have the right to question. Your only response is yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. You don't have the right to question. You do what they say, and then afterwards you can come back to them in a loving relationship and say, listen, I went ahead and obeyed you, but I have to be honest with you. I struggled when you said this. Why did you ask me to do this, right? Have an honest conversation, that place of faith. But when your parents call you to move and to step, they have the authority to do so, and you must respond. You see, we call it disobedience in Scripture, and we don't immediately obey God. And it's no different children with parents. They have authority in your life. And kids, just so you know, your grandparents used to have authority over your parents. So just remind them, right? They had authority. There's that whole thing going down, right? And so they had that experience it themselves. And so Jesus, in this moment, this centurion recognized Jesus' authority, right? This man of great power, great influence, recognizes Jesus' authority as being similar, yet superior to his own. Do you see that? He's like, basically it says, Jesus, listen, I know how you work. Because I'm a man similar to you in a lesser scale. I tell someone to do something, and they do it, just like you. And I say to my servant, come, just like you do, and they have to come. I don't have the ability to bring healing but I know that you have that level of authority. And that's why I'm a little nervous that you come into my house because you're, I'm not worthy because I know how superior you are to me. How do you live in the context of relationship with Jesus? Do you live in the understanding that he has authority over you? Do you live in this place of his superiority? He doesn't be, he's never rude about it. He's loving in his lordship. But he is authority. And that's why Jesus said, man, all these Jews following me have heard of me, have known about me in the scriptures, and still don't recognize my authority. But here's a non-Jew, a man who has more authority than anybody else standing around here, And he gets it. There is faith in this man. And when I come back to the earth, will I find it in anyone else? 
So we find this nature, right? This shocking humility, this recognition of Jesus' authority. But the second story I tell is the story of the disciples. Now, the, the disciples are wonderful for me because they are just like me. They're so messed up, right? And so you see the disciples, they always do things wrong. They mess it up, and it's just great. Those are such encouragement that I'm not that bad, right? So Luke 17, verse 3, second half, second half of verse 3 through verse 6. Hey, your Bibles, you can turn there, mark it in your Bible. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent or turn away from their sin, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, oh, increase our faith. This is too hard for us, right? He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So the first thing we see is, man, what do we do when faith is hard? That's what's happening here to the disciples. Listen, in Jewish tradition, you only had to forgive somebody three times, right? They, they live in the tradition of only forgiving someone three times, okay? It's kind of, you see that in the Old Testament, Jewish tradition, you, you forgive someone three times. After that, it's kind of a crapshoot, right? Whatever happens. But Jesus is coming and saying, it's not just three times, it's seven. And they're saying, oh, that's so hard, Jesus, that's so hard. We can't do that. Increase our faith so that we can do it. What would happen? What would happen if your best friend or your spouse massively sinned against you once in a day? What would happen? It would ruin your day. Whatever they did it a second time, even a third time. Talk about royally losing your day, right? Ruining your day. What would happen if it seven times? It's going to mess up your month. And Jesus is coming and saying, when that happens... You have to forgive them. Listen, you have to forgive them and not let the sun go down on your anger. How hard is that? I'm really good at it. Mm -mm. No, man, when that happens in life, you want to fight back. You want to hurt them. You want to whatever. You want to belittle them. You want to take their legs up underneath them. You want to hurt them back. And Jesus is saying, forgive them. Forgive them seven times. Times. Later in Scripture, he goes, actually, it's 70 times 7, which means an infinite number of times. That's crazy. Crazy talk. And the disciples are going, we can't do this. It's too hard. Increase our faith. We can't do it in our own strength, right? What do we do when faith is hard? And you find this moment that the disciples look at Jesus and his, his, his command and their response, hear this, because this is going to be, this is going to define your life. Their response is birthed from their feelings. They don't feel the ability. They don't feel, they feel it's too hard. They don't feel like they have the faith. They don't feel like they can be obedient to this command. They don't feel, it's just too hard. Their feelings are their feelings are defining their response to Jesus. And because they don't feel like they can do it, they crumble under and say, increase our faith. How many of us, our response to Jesus, our life, our life with Jesus is defined by our feelings rather than faith? The second thing we see in them is that, faith, that we see in their life is basically this. Faith is already present and has been their entire time of knowing him. Faith has already been present. They just haven't realized it. They haven't grown in. They haven't awakened to it. In response, Jesus says something fascinating. He says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, 
You can say this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. And if you've ever been around church, if you are in a garden and you do spices, you know what a mustard seed looks like. It's little bitty, right? If I put one right here in my hand, you'd have no idea if I had one in my, a seed in my hand or not. Why? Because it's so little. It's insignificant, right? It's insignificant. It's unnoticeable. It's unbelievably small. But, but when you plant a mustard seed and it creates this tree, I guarantee you that Jesus probably had probably just passed the mustard tree that day, and it's huge, these massive branches that are they're like a canopy covering things, right? And he's saying, listen, if you just have a, a, a mustard seed, a measure, a little bitty bit of faith, then you can say to this tree or to this mountain, hey, be uprooted and cast into the sea, and it will be done. He basically looked at him and says, you don't ever need an increase of faith. It's already present in you enough to tell this mountain, to tell this tree to be uprooted and cast into the sea. It's already present. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, Each of us have been given a measure of faith as Jesus has distributed. Do you know when that happened? You cannot give your life to Jesus. You can't have a salvation moment with Jesus where you're no longer going to hell but going to heaven. You're no longer separated from God but in relationship with him. You can't ever have this, this changing moment unless God births faith in you to believe what you can't see and understand and know with your senses. You see what I'm getting at? That he gives you that faith to believe him, to give your life to him and follow him forever. Guess when you got the faith that can move a mountain? The moment you gave your life to Jesus, guess how long you've had it? The entire time you've been a Christian. And he's saying, it's not a matter of it being increased. It's simply a matter of you awakening to it. This is a terrible, I'm going to use this analogy, so don't get offended if you hate guns. But, but, but imagine I had a gun sitting right here, and you said to me, hey, here's a target right here. I want you to shoot that target. And I go, I, don't, I can't shoot it. I don't have a gun. You're like, dude, you have a gun right there in your right hand. You go, Oh, I had no idea. Hey, look at that. I got a gun right here. Hey, right, I got a gun. Never knew I had that. Woo! Boom, shoot the target. Fantastic. Right? How many of us? Listen, that's what faith is. Faith can move a mountain. Do you think it's not powerful and it's overwhelming? Scripture says, listen, you've been given the sword of the Spirit to wield against the works of the enemy. Listen, we don't have swords in the day, so we use guns, man. We shoot the enemy all day long in faith. We kill the work of the enemy in our lives. We are packing and we're loaded in Jesus. Always. It's been present from the moment you gave your life to Jesus. If you have not given your life to Jesus, I'm sorry. You're, you're, there's no hope. Until you give life to Jesus. There is hope in Christ, right? But right now you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything. You, can't, you don't have a gun in your hand. You got nothing. You need Jesus. And so Jesus is coming and saying, listen, disciples, oh, you're so defined by your feelings. If you feel like it, it's a good day. All right? If something good happens, you love Jesus. You believe in Jesus. If you get that parking space right close over there to the place you're trying to work, in the grocery store, whatever, maybe, oh, God's with me. He loves me. You have great faith. But the moment, all of a sudden, boom, you have a day where everything's really bad and someone's mean to you and they cuss you out in the car, right? And you're driving, I didn't deserve that. Where's God, right? And all of a sudden, something happens in your life that's like, that's like, that's like hell to you, right? Well, no matter what it may be, and you're going through this hell, you're like, oh my God, where are you, God? Oh, increase my faith, right? Why? Because you're so, we're so defined by our feelings. It's a good day. We have faith based on feelings rather than anything else. And Jesus is saying, listen, 
I don't care what you, I, I love, I care what you feel. I care what you feel. I love you, but feeling has nothing to do with faith. It's already present, and it's simply a matter of walking into it. And you say, what does that look like? And he goes, well, you have to believe he exists. Do you? Yes. Well, good. It's a massive step. And are you earnestly seeking after him with everything inside of you to the point that you every day are doing this and latching, latching on to him because you can't make it today without him? Are you earnestly coming after him? Because if you are, here's what happens. When you take your eyes off of the waves and you look to Jesus, you rise and you receive his hand, and he pulls you. This is the faith that's supposed to define our life. And the question I have for you, listen, if you call yourself a Christian, be careful. Be careful. Because the expectation then is that you are living a life of faith. But when the Son of Man returns, will he find this type of faith on earth because he's you know where he's first going to look he's going to look at the church and to the very ones who call themselves Christians and say is their faith and he's already said basically here will I find faith well he knows he's not going to find much but for us can we be those who are faithful let's pray father Lord, forgive us for making faith so difficult sometimes. It really is simply about believing that you exist, which means you're moving, you're active, you've created us, you've created all things, God, that you are creator God. But also, God, it believes that means that we, if you're really God, then we need to give our lives to you. You created us for a relationship with you. And so, Father, this morning I pray for those first who are not walking with you, or who wonder, I'm not sure if I'm really walking with Jesus today. I, I pray, Father, you'd bring that moment just of knowledge that you would, they, would, they would give themselves wholeheartedly to you and follow you all the days of their life. For those of us, God, who, who are going through hell, I pray, Father, that you would help us today. You would help us today, Father, to believe and to trust you and to continue going and to not bow down to the work of the enemy. Father, today, I praise you that you've already given us a loaded weapon of faith. I pray, Father, that you would awaken us to the knowledge we possess it, and that through your Spirit we have the ability to use it. Come, Holy Spirit, awaken us today. We pray this in Jesus' name.